Hello, my name's Darshan. I'm Kiara. And I'm Blessing. And today in our podcast, we're going to talk about urban renewal and gentrification, okay? Uh, let me first start off by just giving y'all a uh, you know, general definition of uh, what these terms mean, okay? So for the gentrification term, I looked at an article by um, this researcher, Kate Shaw, okay? And this researcher is from the University of Melbourne, uh, Melbourne and uh, described gentrification as the means... Uh, of a process by which, you know, working class residents in a neighborhood are rehabilitated by middle class homebuyers, landlords, professional developers, and more. Uh, you know, they make theoretical distinctions between gentr- gentrification and redevelopment, whereas, whereas in redevelopment involves not only rehabilitating old structures, but also constructing new buildings on previously developed land that often exclude those who call that place home. Uh, that being said, uh, let's transition over to the urban renewal side, okay? For this, uh, uh, you know, definition, I took a look at uh, what John T. Ford uh, had to bring to the table, okay? This researcher um, just, you know, had some very nice insight, okay? So they say urban renew- renewal in their, uh, you know, pr- image is uh, the federal uh, urban renewal program, you know, created by the Title I, uh, you know, section of the Housing Act of nine- 1949, uh, during the next two decades, you know, uh, whilst this uh, act was being implemented, you know, city planners, mayors, journalists, as well as just the greater public demand, uh, you know, demanded grand schemes to redivide, uh, revitalize our nation's cities and capitals, things of that nature, okay? Uh, this ultimately, in more simple terms, you know, meant Uncle Sam was going to be bankrolling a lot of silly city urban development projects to, quote, cleanse of cleanse these cities of their ugly past and reclothe them in the latest modern attire, okay? So um, how do these connect, okay? So I just want to take a second to talk about that. Uh, in short, uh, both of these programs displace people. I, I think that's pretty apparent, and it really is uh, very clear when you look at the numbers that a lot of these people that are being di- displaced are black and brown folks. Uh, but for this podcast, we want to take a look at uh, you know folks in New York, uh, for example. But um, yeah, gentrification is the act of you know uh, just you know d- messing up and just you know I wouldn't say messing up, redeveloping what's already there that some would say is messed up, uh, and you know. Uh, provided uh, the the resources to be better, you could say. But what comes with those resources is what uh, we're going to be talking about in today and understanding like how these things came to be and how they're affecting people on a very basic human level. So speaking of that, this makes me think of Nikki Giovanni and the uh, 400 Mulvaney Street uh, poem. What do you have to say about this, Kiara? Yeah, so um, 400 Mulvaney Street um, is a chapter out of one of Nikki Giovanni's books. In this chapter, she describes her return to Tennessee as an adult after her grandmother's death, and then also how she did not recognize anything in the neighborhood from her childhood, thus pointing to urban renewal. Uh, One of the most prominent lines in this chapter is, something called progress killed my grandmother. This powerful line inspired me to write my own spoken word poem in connection to the loss my grandmother faced, not only with urban renewal, but also with dementia. So I'm going to share that with you guys today. Um, The poem is called Something Called Progress, and it's after Nikki Giovanni's 400 Mulvaney Street. So, something called progress killed my grandmother, took her mind and made it construction zone, built highways and towers in place of thoughts, white flight out her memories, forced her to die alone in an unfamiliar place. Dementia and urban renewal have the same address, mailboxed her memories of how it used to be, 
Dementia took my grandpa first. It was a moving van memorial, a forced removal funeral, a stadium building service, something called progress killed my grandmother, evicted her from her own mind, left her shell of a body like abandoned building, dilapidated and unused. No one talks about how un urban renewal and dementia will uproot a life, how urban renewal and dementia will progress and you won't remember yourself anymore, let alone remember the street you grew up on. My grandmother died in a house she didn't recognize. Dementia had gentrified her mind and told her it was progress. My grandmother died in a house she didn't recognize in a city she spent her whole life in. She spent her last years living with a diseased brain, so sick she didn't even realize that urban renewal had already taken what she thought she lost, had changed bustling black businesses into downtown boutiques, replaced neighborly smiles with scenic rooftop apartment bars and trendy coffee shops. Something called progress killed my grandmother, and it happened long before dementia did. Well, I really liked your poem. It was very beautiful. And just to continue, um, well, not with your poem, but just I also am really passionate about films and I have a love of films. So I decided for my portion to pick. Um, I have watched films that showcase the impact and harm of gentrification within impoverished neighborhoods. These films are The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Sorry to Bother You, Barbershop 2, Back in Business, and The Goonies. Gentrification is most common in black and brown neighborhoods. The concept isn't out with the old and in with the new, but this that has yet to be the case for those neighborhoods. There are four stages of gentrification. Philip Clay, a professor at MIT, introduced the four phases of gentrification in his 1971 book thus laying the groundwork for scholars to understand the process of gentrification. The first phase is renovators moving into a previously poor neighborhood and fixing area homes. These movers are more financially able to afford more than the neighbors. Stage two is vaccines going down, the middle class moving in, and the property tax increase. Stage three is public and private investors are interested in the neighborhood, so they sink their money into the community. Peter Moskowitz, the author of How to Kill a City, said the only people who can financially gentrify an entire neighborhood are people with enough capital and companies looking to make a profit. Stage four is all about the money. They erase the culture of the community and replace it with franchise companies such as McDonald's, Target, Walmart, and so on. These companies offer the promise of creating new jobs and bringing e an economic boost to the community, but that is not accurate. So I just wanted to explain the four stages of gentrification because each stage is also shown in the films that I have listed. These films highlight the struggles these communities face when their neighborhoods change. They don't like it and they know they will face eviction due to the property tax increase or move because nothing is left in the neighborhood that reminds them of home. An iconic film director, Spike Lee, directed and wrote a film called She's Gotta Have It. The film not only talks about black femininity and sexual freedom, but it also talks about the changes in Brooklyn. He confronts the racial tension and significant changes that have been made in Brooklyn. Spike Lee has been outspoken about gentrification. Um, in the film, She's Gotta Have It, he, it was in 1980. It was um, showcased around 1980s, and Netflix made a TV series about the film around, I think, 20, 2000 and. 18. And the film 
And the movie with the, um, the film and the TV series have the same theme and address the obscene changes in Brooklyn. An article written by Brett, Bretton Mock wrote that Spike Lee captured the beauty of Brooklyn neighborhoods like Fort Greene and Bedford and Bedford style. They were his inspirations for his art, and he was heavily concerned with black life. Spike Lee created urban landscapes devoid of non-black characters as seen in his early movies, Joe's Bed-Stuy, Barbershop, School Days, and the original SGHI. Spike Lee's New York City was as black as Woody Allen's was white. The film Do the Right Thing opened the door for viewers to question whether gentrification was helping or destroying neighborhoods. Spike Lee was the first to introduce the subject, and others have since followed with classic films such as The Goonies, which are not just a coming-of-age story, but about a community that is fighting to remain a community. So, Darshan, do you have any thoughts? Yes, I have some thoughts. I, I just I just want to say I find what you're saying, Blessing, very interesting and just really really passionate you know i want to pick up on this idea of community you know because that's that's what i you know researched in terms of you know environmental gen gentrification and just this idea of displacement uh in the city of new york uh city you know uh i want to first start by looking at this article entitled a sense of displacement from long-term residents in new york city uh where you know this uh researcher looked at uh, a variety of people from all over time and uh, they interviewed a number of these people, but I, I, three of these interviews just really stuck out to me. And I think they should be, uh, you know, brought here, you know, to this specific moment to humanize things, you know, you could say. Uh, the first is from the Urban Pioneer. OK, this is a business owner, person who is trying to, you know, also protect their neighborhood. And they say, quote, uh, and this is back in 2004, uh, quote, that the neighborhood was lawless. OK, we were launching giant fireworks out of my windows literally for hours. And the cops never came. This is was in connection to them talking about like defending their uh, lands or what they've made or the section of uh, you know their community air quotes that they've divided out in this area. And I just find it interesting, like like this perspective, you know, because this uh, business owner perspective, someone who may not be you know a person of color or you know fit into the community uh, from a cultural standpoint, but also you know claims to be a part of the community and just trying to you know, fit in, you could say. So this brings me next to my next point, uh, or rather the next interview I want to talk about, which is from the real estate agent, okay? Th this this perspective just had me, uh, you know, dumbfounded, it seems like, okay? Because in their response, they said, uh, quote, one of the challenges and also the opportunity of for Brunswick developers is not, you know, typical, typical pretty Brooklyn, uh, brownstone neighborhoods. Uh, per se. Uh, it gives us a blank canvas to create whatever we want. Okay, so this is uh, this develop uh, this developer, this real estate agent talking about the 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 same thing that the person of the urban pioneer above is talking about and just looking at the neighborhoods and not seeing that sense of community, not seeing that sense of what's bringing people together rather than what's uh, dividing folks. And, you know, ultimately saying that we, you know, people with the money, most likely in New York, you know, the white folks are, uh, can just come in and we can do whatever we want. This person literally said it's a blank canvas. And I just found that to be kind of crazy, to say the least. OK, uh, I now want to move on to the last uh, perspective of this particular article I wish to talk about, which is from the long term resident. OK, in this section, you know, this uh, resident said, quote, where I lived, people worked hard to make their neighborhood great 
And they did it, okay? It wasn't safe in certain areas, yes. But whatever we called home, we made it a home, or we made a home out of it, rather, okay? We had amazing block parties during the summer. Nobody has that. We did it, and it was awesome, okay? And I think this whole idea that this uh, this long-term resident is talking about here uh, should not go, uh, how do you say, uh, should not should not go uh, un- how do you what do I say? It, it it needs to be highlighted because this this is just what's not being said, especially in like today's modern literature. Uh, this idea of like the people who are actually being displaced or the people who are actually losing something, you know, in terms of where they've lived for generations or you know some somewhere that's affordable, that's close to their job or it works for them and their in particular situation. Like it's very sad to see this. Uh, feeling othered by newcomers. And uh, that's a perfect segue into my next topic, or, or rather my next article, which is uh, From Brown to Green and the Social Responsibility of Those Living in New York City. All right. In this uh, particular article, uh, we see the author talking about, you know, the Brownville Redevelopment Project. OK, uh, this particular uh you know, redevelopment in a program in New York City was to re rehabilitate formal industrial zones in uh, the city limits of New York and, you know, just with, a with the aim to boost economic and land use uh, in the region, okay? This included, but was not limited to, cleaning up the toxins that were there, uh, but also, you know, as a byproduct, uh, residents suggested that this initiative was to also clean up and remediate uh, you know, these neighborhoods, uh, because they were backed by developer-driven investments, you know, to re uh, renovate existing housing stock, okay, and uh, the construction of new housing developments, ultimately, once all the toxins were gone, okay, you know, at face value, this isn't bad, but when you think about what these people are actually doing, you know, think about the land, you know, developer, the the real estate agent I was just talking about previously. It's a blank slate. I can come in and do whatever I want. You know, this is what people are, you know, saying in the research. This is what people are saying in the newspapers. You know, in some cases, it, it's very, very clear what's going on here. These people are looking for opportunity and they're finding it. But just bringing this back to a human uh, perspective, uh, the people who are most, at, at, you know, at risk of being affected, in this case in particular, are elderly residents and people living on subsidized housing, as well as, you know, folks on government assistance, you know, these are all people who, you know, very, have very small margins who like any, you know, increase in their, you know, monthly expenses, especially when it comes to where you live and have lived and maybe, you know, you've grown families, have grandkids and stuff, uh, you know, once, once, once that it becomes unobtainable, like what does one do after that? And I think like this is something we as like a nation and as a people really just need to ask ourselves, like we're not saying you can't move in, but we're just saying like, uh, you know, folks you, you just gotta you just be, be more considerate of people's situations and things of that nature i would also like to take a moment to direct our listeners to our show notes uh to view a website about the uh that has documented the gentrification and displacement throughout all the new york metro area and uh yeah it, it's very interesting you can you know map school zones map public housing things of that nature but um i've been on this microphone for too long so let me pass it to my good old friend kiara okay what do you have to say about this Thank you, Darshan. Um, so I thought that that was very well said, and I especially appreciate your mention that what makes a neighborhood good is the community and not just the resources it has. 
Um, but I want to swerve just a little bit into how gentrification can impact the health of displaced peoples and the communities that suffer from the loss. So um, many people will claim that gentrification always positively improves a neighborhood, um, thus positively impacting their health. For example, like when a neighborhood that has little to no grocery stores or just has dollar stores or not just, you know, convenience stores, um, and then they finally get a store built because of gentrification and urban renewal and things like that, um, it will bring healthier options into the neighborhood. Um, however, research findings show that physical health is not necessarily the problem. Um, I recently read a study that involved children in New York aged 9 to 11 in the year 2017 from communities that were being gentrified during 2009 to 2015. Um, I was super intrigued by their findings, but also was not totally surprised by what I read. Um, so Dragan, Ellen, and Gleed actually found that while overall physical health either stayed the same or increased, children starting out in areas that gentrified had a 22% higher prevalence rate of anxiety and depression than did children who started off in low socioeconomic status areas that were not gentrified. Um, so as someone that's suffered with depression in the past couple of years, I could not even like fathom the thought of having to suffer with it at such a young age, especially after already being displaced from my home. And then another study I read about from Lim, Chan, and Walters um, took a look at displaced adults on the opposite side of the spectrum from children um, in New York from 2006 to 2014. They also found an increase in diagnosis with mental health conditions. So 37% of the displaced people in their study were diagnosed with a mental health condition versus only 18% for those that stayed in their community after gentrification. So just a little bit difference with the displaced versus uh, the staying in their community still, but after still being affected by gentrification. Um, the study also found that displaced residents ended up having more visits from emergency departments like um, the ambulance, fire department, um, the police, and then also had an increase in hospitalizations. Um, so although these mainly focused on the impact that gentrification had to those that were displaced, we still see that mental and emotional health decline in people that are living in gentrified neighborhoods. And then just to like bring it all back to my first point, um, there have been some physical health positives, but even then, in addition of a Whole Foods-esque store in a low-income neighborhood with declining mental health is only bringing in resources that cater to the white and the wealthy. I really like what you said, and I do agree that I like it's important for people to understand that when you move into these neighborhoods, the how much they are able to afford. Sorry, I'm saying this wrong. Oh my gosh, did I screw it up? Wait, you can edit this stuff out. No, it's one take, we're doing it. Oh, damn, <laughs> I screwed it all up. Yeah, I, I just feel like in an overall sense, we need to be mindful of which resources we are bringing into these communities. Um, so like with the Whole Foods type of store, um, where the food is more expensive and more costly, we see low-income people being excluded from accessing these resources. 
It'd be like that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about in conclusion here was uh, the whole idea of, you know, rather than investing in these systems and, uh, you know, negative resources, disamenities, things of that nature that ultimately d displace people at the cost of a fewer number of people, most likely uh, higher income millionaires, especially in the city of New York, uh, is just the disinvestment and rather investment in, you know, more positive programs, okay? This is, could literally be, you know, first-time home buying programs. This could be uh, literally just, I don't know, helping people remodel their own homes rather than trying to, you know, just buy up large swaths of land and sell it off to the next developer who's just going to tear everything down and build, you know, $10 million single-family homes, you know, especially in such a densely packed area. I think, like, this solution in large cities like New York City uh, would be something that is very... Um, so something that might be of benefit, you could say. Uh, Blessing, was there anything you wanted to, to add on the end of that? Or are you good? Okay. So overall, for our for the top for the the reason why we picked gentrification is because it's not just an easy topic, and we're just not familiar. We're all familiar with it, but also because we really thought we wanted to have a different way of explaining how gentrification has negatively impacted communities of colors most most it's mostly affected um black neighborhoods and has changed just the culture itself of those neighborhoods an example is manhattan used to be a predominantly black um, neighborhood but now it is 55 percent white and 17 percent black so those are that's something to also um i hope that people can also remember and also just to understand that our main targets for um our topic is for people who aren't familiar with gentrification we hope that you have learned something new and can take away um positive information of what we've said and overall that we just really hope that everyone can fully understand what gentrification is yeah. So yeah, thanks guys. Thanks. Thank you. See you around. Woo!